Thank you guys for uh, sharing, for going. Thank you for um, gladly following the call of God wherever it may lead you. I think uh, this past week as I was talking with folks who were here last Sunday, um, I, I heard from a good number of people about you know similar things that, that they're hearing from God about um, his call and his tug and, and um, some people have responded by, by saying, you know, I think God is calling uh, me to something extremely radical and something really uh, difficult and challenging and um, pray for pray for me that I might be able to, to, to let go of that. And, and others are really praying and discerning, seeking out the call of God. I know uh, one of our uh, one of our brothers was, was fasting was actually he was it was his day to fast um, for our revival retreat weekend and um, fast started on Monday and just kept on going uh, throughout the week, really um, just enjoying sweet uh, communion fellowship with God as he discerns the will of God for his family's future and um, different people like that as they um, are wrestling to, to know how do I respond to, to this. And um, on the other hand, I know there, there are some people who have responded similarly by saying, you know, I don't know um, if I could do that kind of stuff. It seems like what Jesus is asking uh, me and, and us to give up is, is too much. It's, it's hard, and I don't know if, if, if that's possible. I don't know if that's something I want to do. And, and I understand we're all at, at, at different places. But I want to talk from Mark chapter 12 and just share some of the things that's been on my heart these past few weeks um, as we look at a couple different ways that um, people have responded to God in the past. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, This is God's word, Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. This is God's word. If you were, um, if ever, you've ever been to Ecuador, especially uh, one of the towns called Lumbaki, the way that they do offerings is a little bit different than the way we do offering here. The way we do it here is uh, ushers come up and they pass the plates around. In Lumbaki, the way that they do it is they have time of offering, everyone stands, the music is playing, we're singing a song, and there's a box here in the front, and people would come up and they would give their offering. And you would see, um, you know, little children coming up and dropping their coins in. You would see elderly folks and, and different people, middle-aged folks, coming and putting in their offering. Our missions team members would put in their offering. That's kind of the way it was um, here. And it's, it's similar in Africa. I don't know if Albert experienced this in Ghana, but in Africa it's similar too. Um, from what I hear, in certain places... In Africa, offering time is like the highlight, one of the highlights of the worship service. For us, it's just kind of like, you know, we can have whatever attitude we have. But in Africa, again, thing is in the front, and people will dance down the aisle, and people are clapping, and they're excited, and they're watching them. It's almost like, you know, there's such a joy that they get to give their lives to God, and they're coming up and they're giving their offerings. But um, the point being, it's, it's a little bit different from here. Here we pass the place, but there in the temple treasury in, in, in Jerusalem, the way that it's being described here, um, the offering plates were in the front boxes. There's 13 of them, and they're shaped like a 
a Jewish shofar. It's like a trumpet. So the way it was, it was uh, small at the top and it got narrower at the bottom. There's 13 different uh, boxes for different kinds of offerings that you wanted to give. But people would walk in, if you can imagine the scene here, um, Jesus sitting down and he's watching. And you've got these people, these rich people, it says, are coming in and um, different uh, units of currency. And usually the, the more expensive, more high-valued uh, currency was thicker and more heavier and more weighty than the, the cheaper ones. Almost like it is today, a silver dollar, half dollar is more than a penny. Um, dime is a little bit of a, of a, you know, it's an outlier out there because it's smaller than a nickel. But that, you kind of get the point. And so he, he, these rich people are coming and they're dropping in all of their money. And they put it into these boxes. It's jingling and it's clanging and everyone is, is listening to it. And they're hearing, oh my goodness, my God, they're giving so much money. And these rich people, their, their coins are bouncing around and it's getting down to the bottom. And, and people are hearing it from, from all the way in the back. And, and they see all these things happening. People dropping in tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds. And it's, they're making it rain, these rich people are. And all in the temple treasury. And everyone is like, ah, this is great. And as that's happening, this lady walks up. The, the unit of currency that she has is called the lepta. A lepta, basically, it, it means peel. So if you can imagine how thin the peel of an, of an apple peel is as they're peeling it off, that's how small this lepta is. It's valued at less than, two of these is valued at less than a penny. And so she drops this thing, and you can't hear it. You can't hear it at all. No one really cares what she's, because no one, no one expects her to have anything. She's not rich. And Jesus says the value of her offering, well, Jesus doesn't say it, but Mark says it, it says it's worth a fraction of a penny. Imagine what would happen if we were giving, collecting offering here and the person next to you starts pulling out of their pocket. They don't have their nicely prepared envelope. They don't have their, they're not even pulling out their wallet. They're pulling out their change. And they look in their hand and they've got, oh, I just got a penny. And they drop a penny into the offering plate, and you look at them, and what are you thinking? What are you thinking in your mind? Or they drop in, maybe it's even worse, they drop in three pennies. Like they pull out, and they, oh, they've got three pennies, and they put that in and pass the offering plate to you. And you look down because you're the second person, and there's three pennies. I know there's a tendency for us to judge that and to think, you know, what is this person doing? They, like three cents? Are you serious? Come on now, get real. I, I, I've told the story of a time when my friends... Were, were teenagers and they were eating, I think they were eating at IHOP or something, and they ordered this meal and, and they didn't re- realize that drinks would be so much and tax and tip would cost so much that once it got to the, uh, once it got to time for the bill to come, they looked at it and they realized they didn't have enough money. And so three of them went out to their car, they emptied out their, their toll road money, their coins, and they brought it in and they left a bunch of change as a tip. And as they walked out the door, they're like, come on, hurry, let's go. Uh, the server came. She was a female. She came, and she had the change, and she threw it at them, and she said, how dare you give this to me? If this is what you give to me, then it's obvious to me that you need this more than I do. How would we feel if people did that? They took just like a, a few pennies, and they threw it in the offering plate, and, they, and then they passed it around to us. That's how people were looking at this woman as she gave her offering to the Lord. But it's very interesting because Jesus says at the end of it all, he says, you know what? This woman who gave less than a penny gave a whole lot more than all these people who gave their hundreds and thousands of dollars. How is that? How is it that a woman who gave less than a cent had given far greater value and a far bigger offering than these people who had given so much more? 
I want to look at, at that by looking at just three things here. Just three things here. The first thing, our faith. Okay? Faith is shown not by how much we give, but by how little we hold back. Uh, some of y'all who are sixth graders, um, there's a, in the inside of your bulletin, there's blanks. You can fill this in, and the rest of us can do this as well, because I would venture that for all of us in here, not all of us in here, you'll feel like this is relevant to you now, but at some point in your life, this will be. This will be extremely relevant. And so whether you think of maybe uh, you, know, you, you, you don't have a pen or anything like that, that's fine. Listen to it later, but just record these thoughts in your mind. Faith is not shown by how much you give, but by how little you hold back. What was it about the offering of this woman? See, it says if we understand her story a little bit more, we understand a little bit more about the depth of her offering. It says she's not just a woman, but she's a widow. Widows in those days, she's lost everything that she had. You understand that she was married and she, her, her husband was her source of income, was her livelihood, was her protection, was her provision, was her lover, was her everything. And now that that's gone... She's got nothing, and some widows in those days would be left a great inheritance, but obviously not her, because Jesus makes clear that she was a, Mark makes it clear that she's a poor widow. She's a poor widow, and when Jesus looks with, it, the, um, with the knowledge that he has, says she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on, that there was nothing left that she held on to. You understand, there's something beautiful about this. It says, about well, a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. I wonder as I was reading this, why didn't she just give one? Why did she give both? Why did she give everything that she had to live on? I know a penny's not going to go very far, but, I, but two pennies? Like two things that equal a fraction of a, of, of a penny? How far is that really going to go? And yet for her, it wasn't a matter of how much or how little, or I'm comparing myself with all these other people. There's millions of guests during Passover time, and, and what I'm going to do is not going to put a dent in anything. It's not even going to be able to buy an, a square inch of paint for the temple. What This is doing nothing. She didn't care about that. This was an act of wholehearted faith and trust that somehow, if I give everything that I have to live on, that God is still going to take care of me. You see, here's the thing about the the offering of these rich people is that they gave, but even after they gave these extravagant gifts, they still had so much to live on. In fact, their offering didn't put a dent in the way that they lived. See, faith isn't shown by how much we give. It's It's shown in how little we hold back. See, we tend to judge by the amount of the gift, the amount of the, the offering, but Jesus looks at the cost. He looks at the price, and, and, and I think the, the basic point, the basic point that I'm trying to make here is that God doesn't deserve our leftovers. After we've done everything we can and our lives are fine and dandy, and then here's what I've got left. Here you go, God. God doesn't deserve that, nor does he desire our leftovers. See, faith is not shown by how much we give. Like, I gave $1,000 last week. It doesn't matter if we've got $10 billion left over. That doesn't change the way we live. For this widow to give, right, for her to give, she's going home, and she's not, she doesn't know where her next meal is going to come from. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, she's, she's given so much more than all of these other people. Because we have a way of looking at the art when Jesus has a way of looking at the heart. Faith isn't shown by how much we give, but it's shown in how little we withhold from God. 
a few, uh, a couple weeks back, Olivia and um, Manny, Elijah, my mom's in town, and so we wanted to take her out to, to eat somewhere nice, and so we went to this restaurant that uh, one of our people had taken us to. It's, a, it's out in Claremont. It's a sushi buffet, and we're really excited about it. I had, I had not eaten much that whole day, so I could, I could go to town on this 1999 buffet. Really excited. And so I sat down, and, and they gave us each a sheet of paper. We would check off everything we want, and and I was really excited. I was trying to show. Uh, I was trying to show my mom. I know what I'm doing. Trying to show Olive. I know what I'm doing. So I ordered like all of these things. They you start out with like edamame and salad and yeah, whatever. They've got like a katsu and they've got teriyaki and all of these things. And I'm like marking everything: soups and miso soup, hot and sour soup. What do you want? And and then I was looking at the rolls, finding the most expensive valued rolls that I could get them for free on this buffet. Well, not for free, but for buffet price. And I'm checking all of these things. And at the end, we'd order like 15 rolls for like three adults and then like two ninos who aren't going to eat anything. And so Olive is looking at me. She's like, whoa, <laughs> slow down, buddy. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach. And I looked at her and I said, don't worry about this. I got it. You don't know how hungry I am. And this is the battle of the wills from the get-go. But she's like, why are you doing that? You should just, just order as you go along. Eat, order a few things, and then as it comes, then we'll just order more. I said, don't worry. I can do this. And so we put in the orders, and probably within like 10, like 15 seconds, we're right by the, within 15 seconds, the food just starts, starts coming out. Like the soup comes out. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a lot faster than I thought. And so I'm just trying to eat all this stuff, and the, even the server's like, there's no room left on your table. <laughs> we're like, all right, we got to keep eating faster. And so we're eating and, and eating, and, and the whole time, I, Olive wouldn't say this, but I know she might have been thinking it because she doesn't want to destroy me, but she's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> This is like so ridiculous. There's all of these rolls. There's like a hundred some pieces. And, and I'm not that hungry. Mom, not that hungry. You're the only one who's hungry. We're going to have to pay a, a, a fine for this. And so I'm eating and I'm eating. And the whole time it's like, I need to, I need to, I need to finish this stuff. Because if I don't, then Allah's going to get really upset. I'm going to have to pay nine extra dollars, three extra dollars a person. And this is going to be really bad. And so we're eating. And after a while, it just got to a point where it was ridiculous amounts of food. And I was like, I can't eat. I can't do anymore. I'm looking at Olive, and she's got this, like, you know, she's sweet as ever, but I know in her mind she's probably thinking, you stupid. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the time I got to the point where I thought I was, I was going to pop, there's about 40 pieces left. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, you can only hide so many in your soup, right? You can hide, like, one or two in your soup. You can put a few in your pocket, but I wasn't going <laughs> to. There's 40 pieces left, and... And my, my motto when it comes to eating is slow and steady wins the race. So I'm like, Olive, don't worry. I got to take, take, take my time a little bit and clear out some space, and then we'll be all right. So I'm eating and eating and eating. By the time I get to the point where I'm fully done, like I can't put another piece, another roll into my mouth, there's like 35 pieces left. I was like, dude, this is bad. And so um, the, the, the server comes by, and, and um, she, I saw them looking at each other, the two servers, like, do, I, do we need to charge them for this? And so she ended up, we had to pay $9 for it. And so I said, well, so here's my last, my last ditch attempt to try and win Olive over. I said, maybe they'll let us take it home. She said, of course they're not going to let us take it home. If they would, then we'd order 100 rolls, and then we'd pay nine extra dollars and take it all home. They're not going to let us. So I sat there staring at these 35 rolls. Right? This is the end of the story here. But I'm thinking, what if at, at that point, 35, not 35, 35 pieces of sushi right, rolls left over, and you were to walk in at that point? You to walk in, or maybe somehow they would have let us take it home. Right? I would arrange these rolls like nicely and neatly, and and prepared it all cool, and and had all of these rolls, and I brought them, and I, I said, here, here, here. I want you to I want you to have this. 
like delicious. They're amazing. They're amazing rolls. So good. I had my, my I just utterly, completely, like I've eaten these before and they're great and I, I give it to you. Like, are you serious? This must have, co- you know, this must have cost so much. And, and I say back to you, well, I just want to, I mean, I care about you. I love you. You're my friend. And I, I just want to give this to you as, as, a, as a token of, to let you know how much I care about you and how much I'm thinking about you. So here, take these rolls. Like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is so great. Until you realize right, that these were my leftovers. And that if you didn't take it, I would have just thrown it away. All of a sudden, that gift doesn't become that valuable anymore, does it? And I think that's what a lot of us do with God. Is we do whatever we want, we get satisfied with all of these things, and then when we have nothing, we have no, uh, no room for anything else, we say, okay, God, here you go, here you go. Look, God, let me do whatever I want on my, the rest of my week, and then Sundays is left over because my parents are going to wake me up and make me go to church anyways, or because my kids want to take me to church. I've got to go to church anyway, so here's my Sunday, God. That's what I've got left over. Or here, that one day that I've got no energy left because I've been slaving over my work all week long. So here, here's, here's my leftover. I'll give you my hour and a half of worship and Sunday and, and take that as my offering. And a lot of us live this way. The way that we live our, our, our Christian life doesn't change the way we have to live at all. These kind of leftovers kind of off of the top. Here's the way I, I do whatever I want. I get satisfied with the world. And then when I've got something left, I, I give that to God. Here you go. And maybe people look at our gift and maybe they're applauding us. Maybe they're saying, well, they spend so much time at church. But in reality, it doesn't change how much we live. It doesn't change much about the way that we live. See, faith is not shown by how much we give, but it's shown in how little we hold back. And that's why the gift of this widow was so much. Because she gave everything that she had, all she had to live on. And Jesus saw that. And that's important because the second thing that we have to see is before God can use us, he has to strip us. Before God can use us, he has to strip us. This widow, probably at some point in time, she had something. She was married, whatever it is that her husband did, but she had food on the table. She had a roof over her head, but in time... Right, widows were severely oppressed and, and shunned by society. That's why later on in the book of Acts, it would say, hey, we need to create a system where food can be distributed to these widows because they're being overlooked all the time. That's why James says in James chapter 1, here's what true religion is, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's because widows were constantly being stepped on, constantly being looked down upon, constantly being thrown out. And this is who she was. At one point, she had something, but at a certain point in her life, God began to strip all of these things out of her life, and and it it was extremely painful for her. But at the end of it all, at the end of it all, after she had lost everything, Jesus takes her life, and she uses it to be an example of sacrifice and glad giving that would inspire the world over. You see, before God can use us, he has to strip us, and this happens all throughout the Word of God. Before David, little king, before he became a king, when he was just a shepherd boy, before he could be used by God to slay the armies of Philistine, before he slayed the giant, 
Hey, he had this armor on him, right? Saul's armor was too big. It didn't fit. He had to be stripped of that in order for him. That was what he thought was, that's what they thought was going to be his protection. But in order to be stripped of that, he had to protect himself with the name of the Lord and him only. Before we're used by God, we have to be stripped by God. This is the same thing with Gideon's army, isn't it? He had all of these people and God saying, take, cut them down, cut it down, cut it down until there's only like 100, 200 people left so that everybody will know that it's not the size of your army, but it's the power of God that was working working through you. Abraham, the same thing before he became the father of many nations, before he became the father of our faith, he had this one idol in his life, or God wanted to make sure that it wasn't an idol. It was his son. The son, the one thing in life that he loved more than anything else in this world. And God said, will you be willing to let go of that? Will you be willing to let go of that? Because only when you let go of that one thing in your life that you cannot let go of, then I cannot use you to your maximum potential. I cannot use you fully. Come on, man. There are things in in our lives. I hope God is putting a finger on certain things in our lives. And God said, look, here it is, Abraham. Here's your son. Take him. Will you give him to me? And he surrendered it to God, and he reckoned that even if God takes this from me, he's able to raise my son from the dead. His faith in God was greater than his passion, his love, his desire for his son. And only when God saw that you do love me more than anything else in this world, could God begin to use him powerfully to be this great man of faith. Before God can use us, he has to strip us. In, in, in my life, when I went into college, I went into college just kind of wishy-washy as a Christian. But one thing I knew is I wanted to be used by God. And so I did the church thing growing up. I went to all of the church meetings. I never missed a Sunday, never missed a, uh, uh, we had youth meetings on Fridays and then again on Sunday, never missed any of those things. I went into college and I wanted to be used by God. And so I did whatever I could in order to get in a position where I could. Every Sunday, I went to church. Every Friday, I went to large group. Every Wednesday, I went to prayer meeting. Every Tuesday, I went to small group, four nights out of the week. And as a college student, 6 a.m., I woke up. 6 a.m. for a college student is like ridiculous. And, and twice, three times a week, I would go and I would pray because I wanted God to use my life. And yet, for some reason, I kept being frustrated, kept being frustrated, kept being frustrated. I was going through the motions, but kept being frustrated because I wasn't seeing any change, no difference, no no God using my life to do anything. And yet, deep in my heart of hearts, I knew what it was. I was crushing on this girl, right? We weren't dating, we weren't officially dating, but we were pretty much, for all intents and purposes, we were dating. We were hanging out all the time. We were talking all the time. We were going to the dining hall to eat all the time. And I knew every week I would go to church, God would speak some kind of a message that said, you need to let go of this. You need to let go of this. You need to let go of this relationship or else your your heart is always going to be divided. You need to let go of that. And every week, the same message, same message, sometimes twice a week. Sometimes it would be once a week, but just constantly speaking that message. For some of us, that's what it is. It's very clear that there are some relationships that you need to let go of in order for God to use your life. There are some friendships with people that you know are robbing you of your passion for Jesus Christ. There are some dreams that you're holding on to that will not allow you to fully follow the will and the path of God. And God is speaking and God is stripping because before God can use us, he has to strip us. 
Right? There will be no other gods before us and some before him. And sometimes in the grace of God, he uses us even when we're holding on to these idols. Why? Not because we're in the right, but because God loves his people so much more than we do. And he wants to bless them and he will use broken people to do that. But he's saying, you will not fully be used by God unless you give these things up before him. You will not fully be used by God unless you allow him to strip you of these things. And because my heart was hardened, because my mind was stubborn, I wouldn't let go of those. And so God made it clear when this girl came to me and she said, God's telling me that we need to break this off. And so we did. And I remember that night going into a prayer meeting, my heart was just completely jacked. Is that this place where I said, God, I have nothing left. I have nothing to hold on to. I've got nothing to cling to. I've got no pride. I've got nothing. I'm completely empty. All I have to give to you is myself, is my life. And God, if you would take me, if you would take my life, then I want to be used by you. What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? And I just I sat there just surrendering all of myself before God and crying. It's these, you've heard me say this, but these words to this song, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. And it was like God was flushing me of all of these things, stripping me so that there would be no other love, no other passion, no other desire, no other focus but Jesus Christ alone. And as he was weaning me from all of these things, immediately, as I said, God, I want to be used by you, he began to open up opportunities in campuses and churches. And God just began using my life and could beginning to place within me a call into full-time ministry. See, guys, God will not fully use us until he strips us, until we let go of these things that we hold on to. For some of us, like Sarah, it is Korean videos that you're using that to drown out the voice of God. You're using that to cover up some things in your life. You're using that and it's keeping you from spending time with God. Like, God, like I said, for other people, it's a relationship. It's many relationships. It's dreams. It's hopes that you hold on to. It's your pride that you hold on to. It's your reputation that you hold on to. And God's saying, will you let go of these things so that I can use you? Because we will not fully be used by God unless we are stripped of these things. And God's saying, would you? And if you were fully surrendered, that you would, you would not begin to believe what I could do through a life that is committed to me. Right? This widow had no, she had no presuppositions that I'm giving Jesus anything. She's just like, God, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give to you. You know, I was sharing a, a few weeks back with some people that I felt like this. At a, at, when I was beginning in ministry and giving my life to the Lord, I said, God, I don't have anything. If you would use me, that would be my greatest joy. I have nothing to offer to you. And then I realized that slowly in time as I begin doing ministry a little bit longer, I begin to understand how to do things. I, I, I begin to see how to, 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 to um allow God to move and work. And, and slowly but surely, there's this thing that happens in my heart where I begin to, I begin to think that, 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 God, I've got something to offer to you. And I don't have this posture of complete and absolute and utter dependence anymore. And I, I fear for my soul, my, not for my soul, but I fear for my heart in that place. And, and God just convicted me and began to cause me to, to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to come with that kind of pretense. I need to come with this kind of an attitude. But all that I have, Jesus, all that I have, I give to you. I don't lean on experience. I don't lean on gifts. I don't lean on anything else. But all I have to give, I offer to you. And God, that you would be pleased to somehow use my life for your purposes. 
That was the attitude of this widow. I don't have much. I have not much to offer you. Not near what you deserve. But still, if you would use me, if you would use me, God, that would be my deep joy. And so God begins to use her life. You see, before God can use us, he has to strip us. And I think God has got so much that he wants to do in us. If we would be willing to let him do that in us. To chip away and to chisel away at those things that we cling to. The last thing that we see, the last thing we see, many who are anonymous on earth will be heroes in heaven. When it talks about this woman, all it says is she's a poor widow. I tell you this, the, the, the truth, this poor widow has put in all more into the treasury than all the others. There are a lot of people throughout the Bible who are anonymous. Like we don't know their names. But through their lives, God advanced the kingdom of heaven. People like this young boy, we don't know his name. He had five pieces of bread and two fish. And when no one else wanted to give up anything in that crowd of people, he came and he said, here, it's not much, but it's everything that I have. And in the economy of God, five bread and two fish goes so far. This one anonymous boy began to be used as an example to show that Jesus is the bread of life. A widow at Zarephath, we don't know her name. She was a single mother. Her husband had died. She had just one little son. And they were poor like widows were. She had nothing left. In fact, she had enough bread, flour to make one last meal for herself and her son. And then she was going to die. And then the prophet Elijah comes to this widow. And he says, will you make me a meal? And she says, I don't have anything. All I have is one meal left. But she looked at that and she looked at him. And she saw that he was a man of God. And she gave him the meal. And God never let her go hungry until she left this earth. The prophet was fed so that he could continue doing the ministry of God. Countless people, four paralyzed people. I'm sorry, one paralyzed man, four friends. We never know their names. Anonymous people. And yet heroes in heaven because they show us what it means to exercise faith on behalf of another so that his life might be a living testimony. Willing to stand in the back willing to be anonymous so that the name of Jesus might be great in their friend. Countless people, an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, don't know his name, but he got converted through a work of God through Philip the Evangelist. He went back and brought the gospel to Africa. Anonymous people who are heroes in heaven. The question is, would you be willing to have no name on earth so that the kingdom of God might be advanced through you. When I was in China, we were um, visiting these underground house churches, talking to pastors and seminaries who had literally left everything to follow Jesus. And as we're introducing ourselves to them, after about the third day, um, the, the president's organization said, you don't have to tell them your name because they don't, they're, they're going to forget it. The names that they're telling you aren't really their names either because they don't care. 
Your name, their name isn't important. The only name that's important is the name of Jesus in whose name we come and have these relationships. When Tycho, the very last thing he wrote in his journal was our names on earth don't matter. The only thing that matters is treasure and reward in heaven. There are a lot of people who are going to be anonymous on earth who are going to be heroes up in heaven. I think about, this is, you know, Francis Chan, probably one of the biggest names in modern Christianity. He gave up his huge church in Simi Valley, California. And he was just kind of discerning. He just felt like God's call is not for me to lead this mega church. It's a problem when, he said, it's a problem when my name is more famous than the name of Jesus in my church. And so he resigned, didn't know where he was going. I talked to someone in February who's real close friends with Francis, sees him all the time. And he said, you know what, Francis? Here's what Francis is doing. He's going door to door on people's houses in LA, just knocking on their door and sharing the gospel with them with people who will never, ever, ever know who in the world Francis Chan is. But that's, that's the way we need to live. And that our name doesn't matter. It's not about us. At the end of the day, no one cares who we are. And would you be okay if you didn't sit at the popular table at school, if people didn't know who you were at school? but that through your life, Jesus Christ would be known. Would that be okay with you? Is it okay that you don't climb that corporate ladder and get in with the big wigs? Is it okay as long as you can proclaim Jesus Christ and trust that his way for you is going to be better than the way of of making it big and, and denying Christ along the way? Is it enough? Is it worth it for you to abandon your name and your call and all, not your call, but abandon your name and what other people would would praise and hail you to be, to, to leave the praise of man so that you could be an agent of making Jesus Christ great and building and making his kingdom visible? In, at, at one point, I remember when I was graduating seminary and I, like I, I wrestled whether if I should talk about this or not because I don't want to try and, and, and make it sound like I'm, I'm tooting my own horn, but um, there was this time in, in, when I was graduating seminary and my professor said, well, you have, you're single, why don't you go and do something crazy, do something wild, do something that you would never have the opportunity to do. And so I was exploring opportunities and, and different um, options were available in, in, in places throughout the states. And I remember one older pastor that I respected a lot, he came and he said, you know what, um, you want to you wanna do it right here, go to, go to a big city. Big cities have big churches, have lots of people. Get your name out there. Big churches have more money. Can take care of yourself. Right, go, to a, go to a big city and, and, and begin your career there. That will lead to many open doors in the future. And I thought about that for a little bit, and I prayed about that, and I thought at the end of the day, I said, I don't want to be, that's not, I don't want to be famous. That's not my aim. That's not my goal. That's a temptation, but that's not what I want to live for. I want to live my life so that I would be used by God. That's what I want. I want to be used by God to change lives. I'm not, it's not about standing in front of a stage and having people recognize me. That's not, that's not what it's about. But to make a difference and be used by God to be an agent of transformation and to forget about whether people know us or not. Is that good enough for us? Because it was good enough for this woman And it was good enough for Jesus because it says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were. And this word, when it says he he, he watched the crowd, literally it's like he gazed upon 
This is where we get the word for a theater. It's like he's sitting at a theater and he's watching your life and he's watching my life. And, and you know that, that sense where we watch a great movie and we want to talk about it with everyone, put it on Facebook and, and tell all our friends, we want, you need to watch this movie because it's great. Jesus is doing that. He's like looking for someone to boast about. But Jesus doesn't watch the blockbusters. He goes to the independent film festivals. He looks beyond the usual suspects, and he sees what other people don't see. There are many people who are anonymous on this earth who are heroes in heaven because Jesus is constantly looking and he's watching and looking out for people of faith who say, God, my name doesn't matter, yours does. I throw myself upon all that you are. Would you use my life? And why is it that this captures the heart of Jesus so much? It's because it reminds him of what he was to do. This woman was poor and she gave everything. You hear about the rich and how much harder it is per capita. Rich give by percentage a whole lot less than the poor do. But Jesus Christ was the richest one. And he gave everything that he had. And he laid it all down. And when he sees this poor widow give everything that she had, It reminds Jesus of himself. And this subtle, silent offering in the temple treasury in Jerusalem resounded in enthusiastic celebration up in heaven. That Jesus saw and he began speaking and declaring all that she has done. See, there's something that happens. I was talking with our retreat speaker, uh, with our weekend speaker, and he was saying there's something beautiful that begins to happen in a church when the language and the economy with which we begin to talk, it changes from language of sacrifice. Like, I'm giving all this to God, and it it shifts and and it becomes language of joy. Like, I find great delight in giving myself to Jesus. See, the rich... They said, God, I've got something to give to you. Here it is. The poor widow, she said, I don't have anything to give to you, but take all that I am. The rich said, look at me. I am a gift to God and his kingdom. Take my $1,000. This poor widow, she said, I'm not a gift to God's kingdom. I have been gifted with so much from God. Here's my life. Take it and use it. The rich say, look what great things I can do for God. But this poor widow said, look at all that he has done for me. When we begin to see him, our language begins to change. It's not, oh, God, I have to give up all of these things for you. It becomes, God, I found a pearl of great price worth giving up everything for. I will sell that and gladly go and give my life to Jesus Christ. Then when we stand before the cross and we look at the price that was paid by Jesus Christ, it doesn't become language of sacrifice and all of this stuff. When we give our lives then, all it is in our eyes is just two copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny gladly given to him. Let's pray. Let's uh, pray. And spend some time reflecting on what the word of God is saying to us. Maybe some of us are are, are just grateful 
that Jesus Christ would love us at such a price. We just want to meditate upon the beauty and the wonder of that act of life. Maybe others of us are being convicted of a hope, a dream, a relationship, a a treasure, a passion, a habit, a desire, a longing that God has constantly been saying over the past few weeks, even months, even years, will you let go of this so that you could be used fully by me? Let's stop running away. Let's stop giving leftovers. Let's dare to dream what God can do through our lives if it's sold out to him. Maybe for others, we've been building our reputation, building our name, and people all around know who we are. And, and God's saying, you're not going to change that, but, but you can change the attitude. Let's come back in humility and say, God, I don't have $1,000 to give to you. I've got just two copper coins. I don't have much to give to you. But God, take all that I am anyways. Take all that I am for your kingdom's cause. So let's spend a couple moments right now just praying, responding to the word of the Lord as it speaks over our hearts. Let's just offer to God our prayer of commitment, of surrender. Let's pray. You pray quietly, you can. You pray aloud, you can. Let's just surrender. Let's surrender to the Lord God. Let's pray for a few moments and then I'll pray and we'll continue to offer up our gifts to the Lord. heaven, we thank you great and mighty God of grace and love and wonder even if we gave our lives to you even if we gave our lives over and over and over and over again thousands and thousands of times it would still not begin to compare with what you have done for us help us to see that, help us to believe that help us to understand that what we offer to you, these small things that we offer to you, God, are, are such insignificant gifts. And yet, God, when you look at the heart of a man, you look at the heart of a woman, you see so much more. God, and you are moved. Father, may we be the kind of church that moves your heart. May we be the kind of church that may be anonymous in this world, yet is proclaimed in heaven because you see the willingness to surrender everything that we are for the sake of our King. Though we may have individuals, Lord God, that this world may never know about, God, I pray that you would loudly proclaim the deeds and the works of your people throughout heaven, that we would take great delight in knowing that. Father, may we live not for the eyes of man and woman on this earth, for the applause of people, for the headlines of earth, but may we live to become headliners in heaven. May we live to make you known and make you great so that our reward would be great, but even more so, the longing to see you face to face would be our deepest joy. 
would be our deepest longing, would be our great motivation to do all that we are and to willingly surrender everything that we have for the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.